Hey, Crossroads Online, it is good to be with you today. Can I just tell you, we are excited to be together in just a few weeks. If you have not seen Pastor Dave's video kind of outlining that plan of what it will look like to return together, I would encourage you to watch that. But we are so excited to get to worship together with you soon. Now, obviously, if, if you're in a place where you can't quite make it yet, that's okay, but just know we're still praying for you, we're still thinking about you, we still love you. So there is one thing I'm gonna ask everybody to do. So whether you're planning on going to Park Ave, to Shelby or Lexington, or you're gonna watch online, would you go online on the website crossroadswire.com and reserve your spot? This just helps with some social distancing guidelines, but also allows us to know where you're at and make sure we can still be praying for you and connecting with you. Certainly in this time, it is important to be connected together and it may look a little bit different than normal, but it's still important to be connected together. You know, one of the things I love about Crossroads, even in the midst of, of being an online campus, is we still have new families checking out Crossroads. And it's still just exciting to hear the stories of new families who are watching or tuning in and joining us. And so for those of you that don't know, my name is Jesse Ryder. I'm our city center campus pastor. And if you don't know what the city center is, the city center is our downtown ministry campus. And so a lot of people, when they walk into the city center, they're asking a question, well, what is this? Is, is it a church? And, and we answer, we say, yeah, yeah, we are a church that serves our community. And we have a ter terrific team of people there who just will think up and do amazing things to serve people. You know, and, and one of the reasons of, of doing this is simply that what we say is that we take physical needs to be able to create spiritual conversations. And so we, we've, we've done free laundry programs, we have a free hair salon, we have counseling centers, we're, we're gonna be launching some brand new stuff this summer that you're gonna hear more about in the next couple of weeks. And then since this shutdown, we have gotten even busier. For a lot of the people that we serve, food has been hard to come by. And not just food, but healthy food and hot food has been very hard for them to come by. And so one of the things I told our team, I said, listen, if, if there is a food donation, if someone is asking if we will take this food, the answer is yes, and we will figure out a way to serve this to our people because they need it. And so the other day we had a, one of our food guys, he, he's a terrific guy and does so much for us, brought in truckload after truckload of fresh produce. And to be honest, it's very rare that people that we serve get, get fresh produce. And so there, there are some people that we serve that just don't have the kind of abilities or the equipment needed to clean and prepare and serve this fresh produce. So we began to dream up, what, what could we do to take this fresh produce and, and serve it in a healthy and nutritional way? And so just in a period of two hours one day, we, we decided we're going to do this free salad giveaway. We're going to create these salads, put it out on Facebook. People can place their orders. And within two hours, we had 50 orders for salads. The following, we, we did soup and baked potatoes. We had over 100 baked potatoes that we served that day. And so I tell you that because I just, I want to take a moment to brag on our team. The city center team is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And I know so many of you have donated food, donated funds, donated different things to help keep this ministry going. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for continuing to support the city center. Even during uncertain times, we have been able to serve in courageous ways at the city center. So thank you. You know, we're in the middle of a series called Asking for a Friend. And asking for a friend is really this, this social media idea that you, you have this question that you want an answer to, but you don't really want to ask the question. 
And so online you'd say, oh, asking for a friend. You would ask this question, you'd say, you know, asking for a friend to kind of give you that little bit of space in case you were embarrassed by it. And because it's an internet thing, I often find there are, there are funny internet things, there are weird, thought-provoking, and so I thought, I want to share just three hashtag asking for a friend questions that I found. You can decide what category they go into, funny, weird, or thought-provoking, but I want to share just three before we get started today. Number one, certainly relevant in our times right now, asking for a friend, how many calories do you burn when you click continue watching? On Netflix, one calorie, one calorie. What a workout. Asking for a friend, number two, weird, funny, thought-provoking, you decide, how do you mount a laser to a shark's head? I think the better question is why would you do that, but it could be how as well. And number three, you decide, weird, funny, thought-provoking, you know, is it possible to eat so much food that scientifically, you're more food than human? Hashtag asking for a friend. Right? But, but the question we're really going to wrestle with today, the real one we're going to look at, is the question, is faith irrelevant? Is faith boring? Is faith boring and irrelevant? And I think that's a good question, but I think it's kind of a cover-up for deeper questions. Deeper questions like, can I just live my life and believe in God and, and do whatever I want? Or maybe is, is the visible world around us all there really is? Or does, it, does my life even matter? Do my responses even matter? Or what do I do when I doubt? When I have these doubting thoughts, what do I do? And so we're going to look at this tension, this battle between faith and doubt. And it reminds me of this story that I heard the other day about a tightroper. Now, certainly tightroping is an impressive feat. And so there was this, this guy who was in France. He was touring across France doing these amazing tightroping, you know, acts. And certainly tightroping in and of itself is very impressive. But he would then add a blindfold. Then he would do it backwards blindfolded. Then he would add other kind of tools that he'd be using in his act. And this American promoter heard about it and saw it and said, listen, I, I want this guy. Calls him up and said, would you be willing to come perform your act at Niagara Falls? Your tightrope act over Niagara Falls. Because you have a really special and unique act. Would you be willing to do that? The guy says, absolutely, I would love to perform there. And so the promoter makes it a big event, they bring all these people in, and then the tightrope, he gets there, and he gets on the tightrope across the falls, and he absolutely nails it. He does his first routine, he walks across the rope, then he does it blindfolded, and then backwards, and then he turns, he looks at the promoter, and he says, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I can tightrope across Niagara Falls? The promoter says, absolutely, you're doing it right now. I'm watching you do this, I see you. He says, do you really believe that I can do this? He says, yeah, I'm watching you do this. I see you do this. He says, great. For my next act, I'm going to get a wheelbarrow, and I'm going to have you sit in it as I go across Niagara Falls. The promoter looks at him like dumbfounded, like, no way, no way is this happening. And so oftentimes we see this, this tension of faith and doubt. 
where we, we, we admire people who have courageous faith. We admire people who have this strong and active faith. But if we're honest, we don't necessarily always want that for ourselves. In fact, maybe our preference is to not have that courageous faith, but just a, a little bit of faith, a, a, enough to get by. And that way we can not really be challenged, not really be pushed out of our comfort zone, not have to worry about adversity, and we can kind of have these doubts and just kind of sit with these doubts and just kind of let them go. But the thing with doubts is, is doubt can either strengthen or weaken your faith. And so we see this tension between doubt and faith. So what I want you to do before we start today, I want you to do something for me. In your notes, you're going to see kind of a blank space. And you are going to fill in the blank space. So don't look to the screen for the answers. This is going to be your line here. I want you to describe your faith in one word. Think about it for a moment. To describe your faith in one word and just write this word down. You don't have to put it in the chat box. Don't, you know, I don't want to embarrass anyone. But I want you to think, how would you describe your faith in one word? and write it down. You know, maybe if, if you're someone who's, who's battled some adversity or difficulties in your life, you may write a word like perseverance or resilience. Or, or maybe, maybe yours is more of a question of maybe you write down uncertain or confusing. Or, or maybe it's a description of your faith of, of living or active. But just take, just take one word and write down how you would describe your faith. And before we go any farther, I want to kind of stop and define that word faith to kind of understand what faith really is. You know, the dictionary definition says faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I believe that there's kind of a, a cultural Christian definition that says it's beliefs, that you believe God exists you believe heaven is real. You believe hell is real. You believe the Bible. But that's it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look to the Bible to define faith. And we're going to see that there's really two parts, kind of two key definitions from Scripture. The first verse I want to look at is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The word we need to understand here is the word assurance. It's the Greek word hypostasis. Hupo meaning under, and then to understand. To confidently understand what God has done. The second part of our definition is going to come from the book of James chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's one more aspect of this definition I want to build upon. And Martin Luther defined faith he said, faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, 
joyful, and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. So we see when we ask the question, is faith boring and irrelevant? The answer is no. And so really the follow-up question then becomes, if, if the answer is no, is how do we have a confident faith? For us, we need to understand what faith is. I think there's three key components to what faith is. Faith is understanding who God is. Faith is understanding who God is. Faith is understanding what God has done. And faith is understanding our response in obedience. One more time, I'm going to give those to you because these are important. I'm going to build upon this. That faith is understanding who God is, understanding what God has done, and understanding our response in obedience. So if that is kind of our foundation of faith, where does doubt come into play? Well, doubt in various ways will say, God's not really that. God didn't really do that. And if God didn't really do that, you, you don't need to worry about what you do or what you say. You don't have to worry about that. God, God's not really, he didn't do all of that. He didn't say that exactly. It wasn't word for word like that. And you begin to see doubt kind of manipulate your thoughts on what faith really is. And so what I want to do is I want to share a story with you from scripture where we can see this tension of faith and doubt wrestling back and forth. Because we can kind of envision this in our own lives and you can kind of put your own scenario to it. But I think it helps to look at scripture and see this lived out. So the story we'll look at is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, and verse 22. Now, if you hear those numbers, Matthew 14, verse 22, you realize we're in the middle of a book and in the middle of a chapter. So here's what you need to know before we dive into the story, is that Jesus had just miraculously fed the 5,000 people. He just, just performed that miracle in front of the disciples and his friends and everybody else. And so he goes off to find some solace, find a place to, to pray and rest, and he's going to meet up with them later. And that's where we're going to pick up in our passage. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the son of God. Now, as we read through that story, let's understand a little bit of the context of what we're reading. Presumably, it was the Sea of Galilee, which is about 13 miles long, eight miles wide, 
And the amount that they had been sailing through the night probably puts them somewhere near the middle of the sea. And so oftentimes when, when you picture this story, you see kind of the, the children's illustration of this story. You see Jesus walking on the water and for the most part, it's this calm kind of flat water surface. I think it's because that makes it a little more logical for us. That we can picture Jesus walking on at least a flat surface because that makes sense in how we think. But in reality, if you read the description of the water, you realize that it's, it's very windy and the wind is leading to very large waves. And so as you try to fathom what that would look like for Jesus to walk on the water in the midst of a storm, in the midst of waves crashing and wind blowing, it's hard to picture what that would look like. The, the logical part says, well, like, if there's a wave and he's on it, does he ride up with the wave or does he just kind of remain steady and the wave goes over him or around him? Like, how, how does this work? And so there are just some questions that lead us to doubt because we can't quite fathom the depth of it. Now, I want you to think about Peter's instance here. He had just, you know, hours earlier witnessed Jesus feed the 5,000 people. He is watching Jesus walk on water. Things that are inexplainable logically. Things that you, you can't really make sense of. You can't say, well, this is how he does it. This is how he did that. We can't really explain the kind of the workings of it. We can just see the evidence of it. And sometimes when you can't see those workings, it leads to doubt because there's unknown. Right? And for Peter, we see that. And we see that in this moment. And you can imagine if you're Peter, the emotions that you're going through. First of all, it's late at night. You've had a long day probably not getting much rest on the kind of this, this boat that's rocking back and forth in the middle of a storm, probably not a lot of rest. And then in the midst of this storm, in the midst of not having a lot of rest and having this long day and, and seeing what Jesus has done, you see a figure walking towards you on water, not in water, not swimming, not on a boat, but walking on water. And so you can imagine trying to wrestle with the thought process in the moment of for Peter, what do you, how do you justify what you're seeing? Is it sleep deprivation? He claims to have seen it, he said, is it a ghost? What am I seeing right now? And then comes the realization that it's Jesus walking on the water towards you. And then what do you do? What do you do in that instance? Certainly you're amazed by what Jesus has done, but also there's this, this sense of awe of like, what now? And so Peter says, Jesus, if it's really you, command me to come to you. And he does. And then Peter begins to step out of the boat. And Peter begins to walk on water. He begins to take another step. And for whatever reason, Peter begins to be distracted by doubt. It's interesting because if you were to think through this scenario, the fear is, would not really be the wind. The fear would be the drowning and, and the water. But Peter is distracted by the wind. 
begins to think, well, what if the wind did this? What if the wind would do this? What if the wind changed direction? Would that alter how I am walking on water with Jesus? And he begins to sink. And you can imagine that, that, that helpless feeling of in the middle of stormy waters when you begin to sink. And the only thing left for you to do is to cry out, Lord, save me. And everything is out of your control. And you have to rely on the Lord to save you. And so how do you, how do you wrestle with this tension? We see it exemplified in Peter's life. We see the faith to step out there. The faith to take another step. But then we see that doubt creep in and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What if Jesus is not really who he says he is? Well, this is, a, this is an, a unique situation. I don't know about this. What if, what if this happens? And you see that scenario play out. And we, we see the results of it in Peter's life. And so for us to ask the question then, how do we get this confident faith and to work on eliminating doubting distractions? Like we said at the beginning, doubt in and of itself is not necessarily bad. It can lead to really strong faith. But if you just remain distracted by the doubt, it can become dangerous. As we look through this story, the first thing we see about confident faith is that confident faith guides you out of the unknown. Confident faith guides you out of the unknown and doubting distractions adds confusion to the unknown. Do you see the differences there? Confident faith guides you out of the unknown. Doubting distractions add confusion to the unknown. Certainly as we look at the story for Peter, we see in the midst of this storm, the concern of the wind. Now, I don't know about you if you've had much experience with, with natural disasters or severe weather, but it can lead you to that, that unknown feeling, that unpredictable feeling. I can still remember very clearly when I was in elementary school at my house, we began to hear the tornado warnings going off around us. Now, sometimes it was a drill, but my parents acted in such a way that I realized this was not a drill. And so they quickly ushered us to the basement and we sat there for probably 30 minutes. And I, at the time, being as young as I would, didn't understand the severity or what was really going on. My parents remained fairly calm, but certainly rushing us to the basement was not a normal thing to do. And I can remember my, my dad going upstairs and yelling, it's okay to come up now. And I wasn't really sure what we had experienced and what had really happened until I walked with my dad to see our neighbor's house. And as I looked around, I saw there were trees on top of garages. Things were stuck up in the top of trees. And I can remember just seeing just this destruction and chaos that I had no idea that tornadoes or storms were capable of. And beginning to kind of understand the power of some of that and the unknown and still to this day, we don't know the power of certain storms. We don't know the power and, and even when natural disasters happen. And so we see that, that faith, confident faith, can guide you out of that unknown. 
Now maybe, maybe for you, the unknown right now is not so much worrying about a physical storm, but maybe kind of a storm of life, if you will. Certainly we are in a season right now that is unprecedented, indifferent, weird, and all sorts of things. And with that has come unique challenges. Many people are wondering about going back to work or if they have a job or what employment looks like. Others are trying to figure out daycare and schooling and answering some of these questions where just, it's unknown. It's unknown what the future holds. And so in the midst of that, what we see about confident faith, that confident faith says, regardless of my unknown surroundings, I am going to faithfully serve and trust God. One more time. Confident faith says, regardless of my unknown surroundings, I am going to faithfully serve and trust God. But see, now doubting distractions is a little bit different. A doubting distraction in the unknown says, my feelings, not God's word, not God's promises about my surroundings will dictate my actions. My feelings will be the one to govern how I decide to respond. Not the promises of God, not what we read in God's word, not a call to righteousness, but just whatever I'm feeling at the moment. Confident faith says, regardless of my surroundings, I'm going to faithfully serve and trust God. Confident faith also helps you to overcome adversity. As you look through this in, in Peter's example, he certainly faces adversity, unforeseen adversity. Sailing out in the middle of the night, a storm happens. Did not maybe expect that or maybe to understand the, the bigness of that. But in the midst of that storm, he sees Jesus on the walk, walking on the water. Can't really plan that. Didn't really expect that. And then in the midst of that, he is then invited to also walk on the water. Couldn't really dream that up ever if you're kind of thinking about what your day might hold. And that's the difficulty of adversity. Right? You, you can't really specifically plan for adversity. You can only plan for how you would respond, but you can't get into the specifics. So confident faith helps you to overcome adversity. Doubting distractions leaves you stuck in adversity. And for some right now, it could be you know, that, that fear of losing someone. Certainly in the midst of a pandemic, that is a, a fear that people have of, well, what if this were to happen? What if I were to lose this person? Or you hear reports of people who have been diagnosed with cancer or other medical just difficulties. Surgeries are required. Testing, waiting on results. Where you couldn't really predict this adversity. But we see that confident faith helps you to overcome adversity. You know, I, I read this uh, story of a, a US pilot. His name is Scott O'Grady. He was flying over Bosnia and his plane was shot down. And for six days, he was forced to survive and evade being captured. And after six days, he was eventually rescued by American forces. 
But in an interview with him, it says, during this trial, I had inspiration. The inspiration that carried me through this difficulty came through the things that I cherished the most in life. It came through the love I have for God, the love I have for my family, and the love I have for my country. I look at my entire combat experience through my faith. O'Grady has written several books, and in one of them, he incredibly calls this ordeal. Now listen to this. The most positive six days I have ever had in my life. And he explains why. The reason why it was such a positive experience in my life was solely because of my faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. There is no denying that at some point in your life you will face unknown adversity, difficulty, obstacles, things you could not plan for, things that change your life forever. And it is a great value to have someone to remind you to fight the good fight and to keep the faith. Even as, as difficult as it might be, as difficult of season you might be walking through, to have someone in your life that will encourage you with that. To fight the good fight and to keep the faith. And maybe, maybe it is your responsibility for someone else. That you need to encourage them and remind them to fight the good fight. To keep the faith. This may be a difficult season you're walking through. This may be a confusing season, season you're walking through. This may be a hurtful, painful. You can add whatever descriptive word you want. It may be one of the most challenging seasons of your life. But I have fought the good fight. And I have kept the faith. And when you hear the context of that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that Paul is writing to Timothy, is he's kind of nearing his ministry, possibly nearing his life, and to be able to look at the end of his life and say, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith. What an example that has been. What an example for the people that surrounded Paul, surrounded Timothy. But for readers, even still today, to look at that example and see the persecution that was endured, the suffering, the beating, the unforeseen circumstances that he walked through, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And finally, we see that confident faith leads to courageous actions. Now, doubting distractions leads to self-centered actions. We said at the very beginning, doubt can either strengthen your faith or weaken your faith. Doubting distractions leads to self-centered actions. But that confident faith leads to those courageous actions, those amazing stories I want to share just one with you that I read. There was a place called the Hebrides Islands. The very first two missionaries to ever go to these islands were killed and eaten upon arrival by cannibals that inhabited the island. And so you can imagine when that is a story of the first missionaries to go there, it becomes hard to get missionaries to go to that location. But then there's a man by the name of John Patton 
who said, I want to go there. I want to go to those islands. And people in his church, well-meaning well people said, listen, you, you don't want to do this. You don't, you don't want to go to this location. This is dangerous. You could die. You could be eaten. You could be eaten by cannibals. And I want you to listen to response. Listen to the courageous faith you hear in his response to this individual. It says, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. And after 15 years of fruitful ministry, almost everyone on the island of Aniwa was converted. And so we hear those courageous stories and those courageous actions. And I want you to understand, this is not some lofty expectation that's not attainable. Now, it could be different. It could be vastly different. But the idea of courageous faith is not something that is not attainable to us. It is something we can work towards. But what we have to understand is that confident faith comes from confidence in Christ. Confidence in Christ comes from understanding God's word. You see that they, they build upon this foundation that confident faith comes from confidence in Christ. Confidence in Christ comes from understanding God's word. Right? That is what will strengthen your faith. And so really I think there are four things that we can look at on how to have confident faith. Four key things. Number one is to be in God's word. If confident faith comes from confidence in Christ, which comes from God's word, it is important to then be in God's word, to understand God's promises. I would encourage you, if you're not on a reading plan or you're not spending time in God's word, to make that a priority. Find a reading plan that works. Start, if you're not doing anything, start with maybe five minutes a day. A habit that I learned, certainly a cell phone can be of great value, but for me, it became a great distraction in the morning. I'd get up, I'd start scrolling through news feeds and Facebook and sports stories and all these different things. And all of a sudden, it was time to get up and do everything else. And so I had to learn the very first thing I'm going to do on my phone is I'm going to read scripture. And to discipline myself to do that. To make it a priority. You know, and if you're looking for kind of a reading plan to strengthen your faith, I would encourage you to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 to read all of chapter 11. And in chapter 11, you're going to see what's called the hall of faith. And you're going to see characters in the Bible who have, a, have exemplary faith. Now, they're not perfect, but we see their courageous faith. And so to look through those stories, to read through Hebrews 11, then go back and read through those stories of the individuals found in Hebrews 11 about how their faith was courageous and how they still, they had questions, they had doubts, but they overcame those doubts with courageous faith. Number two is to surround yourself with people who have or want you to have a strong, confident faith. Create a group of people around you who want that for you. Accountability is so key in overcoming doubts. Doubts will reveal interesting questions, interesting thoughts, 
And so either you can dwell in those doubts and never really come to a conclusion, and it begins to just kind of decrease your faith, or you can work to solidify those questions, to find answers, to strengthen your faith. And accountability and community is a great way to do that. And community group signups here specifically at Crossroads are starting. So if you need a group, sign up. Find, find that accountability, find that community that's gonna encourage you in your faith. Number three is to closely examine your doubts. Because if we're honest, the majority of doubts are stemming from sin or something you might feel guilty about. And so you can kind of use doubt as almost the scapegoat for having to deal with the sin in your life. Or perhaps it's, it's the doubt is kind of maybe coming from some anger or angst against God because of an event that has transpired in your life. And if you're feeling that way, that brings us to the next one, which is to pray. To pray to God in an honest prayer and say, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm working through. This is where I need help. And to be able to have those honest conversations, those honest thoughts, and seeking God's guidance. And then I would encourage you, when you do those steps then, to get ready. To be ready for those courageous faith moments. And I don't say that to intimidate you or to scare you, but just to be ready. Because if you're praying and preparing for courageous faith, just be ready. Be ready for those moments to be able to exemplify your courageous faith so you may be able to encourage others. So that they, someone would say, may the work that you are doing for Christ leave others saying, truly, truly the God whom you serve is the Son of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for the examples of courageous faith in scripture. We thank you for the examples of courageous faith in our life, of people who have been exemplary in their walk and their obedience to you. Lord, our, our prayer is for courageous faith. That we will seek after you. We will cling to you, we will run to you in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of uncertainty, that we will cling to you so that our faith will be strengthened. Lord, we are thankful that you are a God who hears our prayers. You are a God who keeps promises. And that you are a God who sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, help us not to forget that. The sacrifices that have been made for us so that our faith may be strengthened. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.